I have a message today that is burning in my heart, and it is a message of deliverance. It is a message of confrontation as it relates to sometimes the, the pull of the enemy in our lives to keep us from enjoying a fulfilling, liberating life in Jesus Christ. The message is entitled, Overcoming Hurts of Yesterday. How many of you have ever been hurt at least once in your life? How many of you deserved it? Not many. How many was hurt by your own ignorant action? How many was hurt on purpose because you deliberately did something that brought hurt to you? All of us could tell our stories of yesterday and the hurts. One of the most dangerous hurts of yesterday are those that are buried and often never dealt with, never confronted as it relates to an individual's lives. Someone made this statement, one must always maintain one's connection to the past and yet carelessly pull away from it. I started ministry. My dad, I've told you numerous times, was not even a deacon of the church until I was in ministry full-time. All of those that I was at Southeastern, their dads, their granddads, their grandmothers, everybody else in their family were pastors and ministers. And I never forget how I felt when people would ask, well, where's your dad a pastor? I didn't know. I let that build somewhat of an inferiority complex And I overcame that little complex by extra effort, extra prayer, extra energy, staying with it when others quit, working long and saying, I will in fact one day, by the grace of God, live beyond that. I think by the grace of God, I have been able to do that. But that haunted me some because I felt not enough. I felt, of course, uh, wow. I'll never be able to ever be in the ranks of that individual or their family name. And by the grace of God, God has helped me. You see, here's here's what I know, that our memory or our impressions of our past will either be positive or negative. Your yesterday is either positive or negative. But it can still be a present reality unless you deal with it in your head and in your heart. You say, that past that might be negative, I'm going to deal with it in my head and in my heart. Oh, but I've tried to do that before, Pastor, many, many times. But I'm going to, through this message, allow Joseph to be our example to say, if you're trying to do that on your own, you'll always go back to the place of the past that will bring hurt to you. But if you allow the Holy Spirit to be able to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, I believe God promised me in my prayer time for this message that God can give you a rope, a lifeline out today, and you can be delivered, you can be free, and you can be joyous, and that past will not dictate to you ever again the rest of your life. And so this morning we find our key character, Joseph, my past to settle it is point number one, Genesis 43, 30. Deeply moved at the sight of his brothers, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and wept there. 
He is the example today of a person that found out and knew how to deal with yesterday. The Bible tells us if you study deep that section of Scripture that he was wailing when he was crying. It's that kind of cry that you can't hardly get your breath. It comes deep from a person's bosom, and it's not superficial. It just is uncontrollable. And that's why Joseph went into his private room, because that kind of weeping, what was pouring out of him, pouring out of him, happened to be all those past challenges and memories in his life. He came from a dysfunctional family. There are no perfect families. How many know that? How many know that? No dysfun, no perfect families. You know what that means? All of us have a little bit of dysfunction in our lives. All of us as a family have some dysfunction. Every person you know has some form of dysfunction. Jacob, Joseph's father, Jacob was deceptive. That's dysfunctional. How would you like to say, I love my dad, but my dad will deceive you every time. Laban, his uncle, you know, deceived Joseph. Leah was his stepmom and could have been his aunt. My Lord, have mercy. Leah and Rachel fought for his father's attention. Imagine sitting around the dinner table and watching Leah and Rachel look at one another with such chagrin because they all want Jake or Joseph's father's attention. He had stepbrothers from Leah and his father's handmaidens. His stepsister, Diana, was raped by foreigners. What did her brothers do, Joseph's brothers? They murdered all the men of the city because she was violated. Boy, if you even got close to her, they took you out. His mother died while giving birth to his brother. His brother had intimate relationships with his father's handmaid, which said incest. And Joseph stepped forward in all of that dysfunction and said, Hey, everybody, I had a dream. And one day, he was southern. All of y'all are going to bow down at me. Do you know what his brothers must have said? Do you know how easy it will be for us to take you out, little brother? You know, we know that you're already a fave, and now you're telling us in the midst of dysfunction. One of the brothers probably turned and said, yeah, listen to him. He's a nutcase. He's just as dysfunctional as we are. He says he had a dream, and one day all of us are going to bow down to him. That's about as dysfunctional as it can be. And when he was 17, his brother said, enough, little brother. We're going to kill you. He didn't catch that. One of the brothers, the older, stepped to the plate and said, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him to some of the slave traders that are coming by headed toward Egypt. And so they did. They sold him as a slave. You know that he was sold and served time in Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife said, my Lord, he's a good looking beast. And then she reached out to him. He turned her down and she cried rape, but he was innocent. He was cast into the prison. The cupbearer there, Joseph said, I've done favors for you. When you get out, you remember me. And guess what? The cupbearer forgot him for a while. And then finally remembered Joseph. Years later, he remembered him. And Joseph spent 13 years in bondage. And yet he was innocent on all counts. Every year that went by was one more layer 
of an opportunity to be bitter, to be resentful, to be hateful, to be angry. One more layer to say, I've never done a thing but endeavor to serve Jehovah. And in the midst of all of this, what do I get? I get 13 years of bondage in prison. How do you settle that kind of hurt? How do you settle some of the hurt that you've been through? How do you settle a divorce that was, was not your idea and your fault? How do you settle being abused or being raped and being beaten? How do you settle the fact that your kids have turned and said, we don't love you? How do you settle the fact that you were overlooked as one of the family members? How do you settle the fact that you look at your past and say, others got away with it, but I didn't. I got caught and I've had to serve time for my mistake? How do you settle the times that you've been overlooked and you've been chewed up? How do you settle those things in your life and in your heart? We all have those kinds of situations. How do you settle that hurt, the emotional damage, the fear? How do you settle the loneliness when you've been left by divorce with one or two or more little children and nights get lonely and there's no one there to confide in you except children get ready for bed, wash behind your ears, take your bath, clean up your room and don't make such a mess in the kitchen with the cereal bowls and yet when the evening closes down it's just you that looks yourself in the mirror and say, I don't deserve this. How do you keep the devil from storming in on you and maintaining a proper spirit and a proper attitude? How do you deal with that rejection? Joseph remained true to his commitment to Jehovah. When the pals of the lies of the enemy came in, he eventually became, why? Because there was an anointing of God on his life, even when he was in prison, even when he was charged with rape, there was an anointing on his life. And I submit to you that every person in this room, let me say it again, every person in this room has an anointing from God. Once you became redeemed under the blood of Jesus Christ, God poured an anointing on you and said, no matter whether you go through the valley of the shadow of death, there is still an anointing on your life. Live like you are anointed. Joseph lived that way, became second in command. And then the time came that his brothers appeared with Benjamin, his younger brother, and the memories when he looked out, though they did not recognize him. When he looked out and saw their faces, the Bible said the memories began to flood his heart. And our text said it so moved him that he had to go to a room that was private and he wailed, one version, he wailed like a wild animal, pouring out of his being. He had to settle his feelings toward his brothers and all the other things that happened to him. You see, Joseph's greatest battle was not the lies that others had told about him, nor his physical imprisonment for 13 years. Joseph's greatest battle was the desire of the enemy to lock him 
emotionally and psychologically from the inside out so that he can never feel free, that he can never praise, that he can never worship, that he can never exalt the name of God, that he can never feel not dirty, that he can never feel that there was a, a choke ring around his neck, that he can never feel that he ought to have to walk with a limp, that he can never feel having to walk behind other people in the shadow of those that might be successful. But listen to me, God said you are anointed. You don't walk behind, you walk out front. You are anointed. You don't walk in the shadow. You are the Son of Almighty God shines on you. Now behave in that regard. <laughs> he knew that he had to settle it within himself because he knew he had purpose in life. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in preparation for this message and said, people are going to be liberated when they hear my word on the Sunday morning that you present it. Alice is the subject of our story for a moment. Alice was older now, tall, thin, gray hair. They went around the room and said, introduce yourself. And others did, and finally it became Alice's turn. Alice raised her head, introduced herself, and began to tell her story. She said, from a small baby, I was placed in an orphanage. My biological mother and biological dad did not want me, didn't want to have anything to do with me. So I was in the orphanage. As a child, I was not outgoing, very timid and bashful. Zero personality, afraid, feeling unwanted. I watched more times than I care to count as families would come into the orphanage. And so oh, we'll take him or we'll take her. We would be paraded in front of them and at no time was I ever chosen. And it drove me deeper and deeper and deeper into my insecurities. She said, finally one day when I was about seven or eight years of age, she said, the matron of the orphanage came to me and said, Alice, clean yourself up. There's a family that want a little girl. They're not coming to talk to you. They're just going to take you. She said, I'll never forget what I felt. I jumped up and down with a glee that I hadn't felt in forever in my life. Somebody actually wanted me. And I became so excited that the matron calmed me down and said, oh, don't be that excited. It's only a trial. They've not made a full commitment. They just want to see how it goes with you, Alice. So they're coming to get you. Alice said, it didn't matter to me. She said, I went home with them. They had this big house with a large front porch with rocking chairs on it. And she said, I entered school. I did good in school because my heart was happy that someone wanted me. I was there for about four months, and one day I was skipping home and came and opened the gate and came down the sidewalk up on the porch and called out, but no one answered. She said, when I pulled back the screen door, she said, I saw in the hallway my little, my little roughshod suitcase 
with my coat laying over it. And I knew then, though I didn't see it coming, that I was not going to get to stay there. She said, that happened to me seven times before I turned 13 years of age. She lowered her head and she raised her head, not a dry eye in the room. All the others had their problems. Tears streaming down their cheeks. All of them in their own mind's eye taking their own dysfunction and could see Alice's little suitcase with her little coat. Alice spoke up and said, I know what you're thinking, but let me tell you something. Don't feel pity on me. For she said, I came through all the challenges that I came through until one day someone introduced me to the one who would never leave me nor forsake me. And a number of years ago, I found him as my Lord and Savior. I found him to be the strong arm. I found him to be my encourager. I found him to be my conqueror. I found him to be my redeemer. And though my life hasn't changed a whole lot, it's getting better. One thing I do know, he promised never to leave me nor forsake me. And the only way I got to him was because of the pain that I experienced in my life. And I rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes the depth of your pain can cause you to appreciate divine deliverance in a greater way. In a greater way. How wonderful for her to deal with that. You see, you have to settle the past at the altar of God. Secondly, you have to release it. The past that is unpleasant, that hurt you, that harmed you, that ridiculed you, that rejected you, will hang out as long as you let it stay there. Joseph in Genesis 45, 1 and then verse 5a, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. In that position of authority, he sits there. Someone made this statement. We must learn to quit fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, I forgot it. I've thrown it out there. And then you go back fishing again. He says, bury the past or your past will bury you. 
In one degree after another degree after another degree, it will bury you. But you can settle it by the grace of God, and you can, by the power of God, release it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing is impossible with Almighty God to a child of God who chooses to believe. I'm going to put that in its place. I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is a fresh anointing that covers my wounds and brings healing to my broken heart. How wonderful it is. Joseph said to his brothers after he revealed himself, don't be distressed. They knew he could take their life. And don't be angry with yourselves. I'm not going to let you have a pity party because you chose to sell me to that traveling caravan. Joseph did not allow the burden of the past to reside in him. He released it. Paul writes in Philippians 3 verse 13, By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus, and I'm off and running, and I am not turning back. You must always remember that past will stay there until the fact you release it. Yes, it hurt. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it's real. Yes, you have a scar. Yes, you were abused. Yes, there are no guarantees. Yes, it won't go away until you settle it and then release it to God. Who can bear your burden? But preacher, you don't understand. I've been doing this for 51 years. I've dealt with a lot of people in a lot of different situations and a lot of circumstances. How do you release it? Number one, it's not an instant process. Most of the time it's not. Sometimes it's true, but most of the time you have to release it from your heart by keeping your heart filled with the promises of God through the blood and the Holy Spirit anointing that you release it from your records. Get rid of the files, get rid of the pictures, get rid of anything else that you have that reminds you of what happened in yesterday. Burn them, get rid of them so that they never show their ugly face again that reminds you of what happened. Then settle it and release it from your mind and release it from your spirit. Forgetting will take time and you will continue to release it over and over and over again. Bury yourselves in the promise of God's Word. And remember, He is the only one that will not change, that will not fail, and will not remember. The devil can beat you up anytime you allow him to beat you up. He can knock you around anytime you allow him to knock you around. Last night, Sherwin was channel surfing, and, and I, don't, I don't know, it must have been 10 o'clock, and our Hallmark, Hallmark movie had just gone off. They fought at about a quarter till, and then they went to kissing by the time the movie was over at 9.58. Got all the sugar they could get, and the movie went off. Said, Merry Christmas. So she's channel. <laughs> she, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm right. It's just a flat-out truth. She's channel surfing, and she reached the channel, was kickboxing, and two ladies were there. 
One with a bloody face. I mean, that lady put her foot so high, I thought there's no way she's ever going to get it out of the atmosphere, get it down on the ground again. That's humanly impossible. I said to her after about a minute and a half, she was moving on and she changed the channel. I said, thank you for doing that. I said, it's hard for me to sleep after looking at violence. I have to have peace that passes all understanding. I don't want in my sleep memory two ladies in there beating one another's head in. Amen. And one putting her leg up so high. My Lord, how mercy. How many know what I'm talking about? You control. You control. You control what you allow the devil to put in your plate. Amen. It's like getting a cold hamburger from McDonald's. Don't eat it. Take it back. It's like getting a Whopper from Burger King that they put three tablespoons of mayonnaise on it. Take it back. Amen. It's like getting a bowl of chili with a hair in it and you pull it out. Friday, take it back. How many know this is unacceptable? We don't eat cold French fries. We don't eat sloppy hamburgers. We don't eat cold fried chicken. Take it back. Amen. Don't let the devil put trash and junk on your plate. You take it back and say, I'm not eating this. Hallelujah. Bring me, hallelujah, the coconut cream pie, and I'll take care of that happens every day every single day someone said I was regretting the past and fearing the future that's a tough place to be suddenly I heard the voice of the Lord say to me what's going on with you my name is I am he continued when you live in the past with its mistakes and regrets it's hard I'm not there my name is not I was. And when you live in the future with its problems and fears, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. He said, but when you live in this moment, it's not hard for I'm there because my name is I am. I am here today. I am forever. I am forevermore. And Moses, when Pharaoh says, who sent you, just tell him, I am that I am that I am sent me. The one who flung the stars into the orbit, placed the ocean, and cut them out. The one that created you a perfect creation. He is the great I am. Live like He's your Lord, King, and Conqueror. Somebody say amen. I'm giving you a good Sunday morning message on Sunday morning. Chuck Colson, who was a hatchet man for Richard Nixon, who could take people out and did, had their lives snuffed out, Closed their businesses down. If you got in his way, he had no conscience or feeling. He just did what was necessary. What made him dangerous, he was a, a, had an astute mind, a genius intellectually. A massive posing being in the court of law. And all those talents and those gifts for what he considered to be political advantage, he used adversely. But one man who was a friend of his was not afraid of Charles Colson. 
who went to his house one night and said, Chuck, have you ever considered a relationship with Jesus Christ? His friend, knowing that he may just sneer at me, tell me this conversation is over. But he didn't. Thank you for your kindness. Conviction is powerful. Chuck got in his car, backed out of his driveway, and the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, came into that car and began to speak to that wicked man's heart. And he began to weep and weep until he couldn't even see the road and pulled over to the side of the road and there it was almost like a Saul Paul experience and there the Holy Spirit of God cleaned his heart up gave him joy that was unspeakable and when he was charged and they asked him are you guilty or not guilty his law friends are telling him not guilty we'll get you out of this we have the brilliance and the ability to do it he said no I'm a new man I'm changed now I know that I'm guilty I am guilty God will in fact God is my friend God will do what he wants to with me slam in the slammer but that's where he saw the plight of prisoners and their families who would come on visitation day his heart's now changed from being the hatchet man to actually being filled with compassion. And that's why I started Prison Fellowship in more than 88 countries and millions of people with 50,000 volunteers. And Prison Fellowship became alive. And he said, had my journey not taken me to prison, I would have never, ever been able to see the fruit of the ministry of prison fellowship. You see, God has a purpose in everything that happens to you. And you can determine in dealing with it and settling it and releasing it, you can allow it to become a positive experience that you can be used of God Joseph said, Genesis 45, but don't feel badly. Don't blame yourself for selling me. Here it is. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. Placing your perspective and God's perspective made all the difference in the world. And so Paul writes, and we know that all things and God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God's perspective will cause you to give up on fear and have trust in God, not in the future. Become dependent on God, not in your emotions. And not be afraid about tomorrow. Realize that out of pain, God can bring some blessing. There's a nautical term. It's called cattering. Kettering is a nautical term when a ship is in trouble and in distress and being tossed that many on board can actually take. It's a light kind of an anchor that can be propelled ahead of the ship. And if the ship is being tossed to and fro, you throw that, that, that anchor that's not as heavy but has the ability to dig in 
And then you winch toward the anchor. And the anchor is dug in in the bottom and it pulls the ship. Coquettering in the direction. And when you get there, you grab it and you throw it again and pull you in direction. Hebrews in Hebrews 6 verse 18 said that's what we call hope. Sometimes in the turmoil and in the trouble and you feel like you've lost your way and one more emotional burden has fallen on you. He says cast out that anchor of hope and pull toward it. Who we who have run for our very lives to God in every reason to grab the promise of hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbelievable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearance right into the very presence of God where Jesus running ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as the high priest for us, the order of Melchizedek. So here is the promise. You settle it, you release it, and you let God give you a fresh perspective. So Joseph to his brothers, Genesis 50, don't be afraid. Do I act for God? Don't you see you planned evil against me? But God used those same plans for my good. Can you believe that? And as you see all around you right now, life for many people, easy now, guys. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. And he reassured them, speaking with them heart to heart. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. And if you look back at the beginning of his life, you'd say, no hope, not a chance. There's an ex-con. He served 13 years. Oh, my, he was charged with rape. He said he didn't do it, but we know that he did. Yeah, his brothers hated him, sold him as a slave. But, you know, there's one thing that Joseph had that he didn't deserve, but God chose to give it, and it is what God has chosen to give you that we don't deserve. It is his anointing. And the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage and will liberate you to be the kind of person that God says you are victorious in Jesus Christ. But that will not happen unless you pay attention. And God spoke to my heart and said, people will be released as they respond to the message. So would you stand and would you bow your heads? And I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer, every one of you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Please forgive me. Please release me. And I ask you now, as I follow you, let your anointing rest on my life. In Jesus' name. I believe God is in this house. I believe the Holy Spirit is with you online. Some of you online, God is speaking to and dealing with.
and you're weeping. I'm going to ask you as I give this moment for people to respond. So just slip your hands up and surrender there at home or in your car unless you're driving. And say, Holy Spirit, touch me. So I open as God directed me this altar up to whosoever will. That if you'd like to say to the enemy, I put it back there, but it keeps wanting to be a thorn. And I truly do want to get rid of it today. You slip down here while we sing, and I guarantee you that this moment will start that process. You will be a different person in Jesus' name. So as we sing, as God speaks, you come right now. Would you do that? Here we go. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. Those of you on the balcony, come on down. Those of you here, come on down, friend. And don't miss this moment. God's pulling you. Let God take it away for you. We'll wait one more time. One more time. Thank you, Jesus. Gonna wait on you. You in the balcony. God's speaking. Be obedient to Him quickly. Father, I thank you today for the abundance of your word and your anointing. God, I pray this message will find a lodging place 
in all of our hearts. I pray that spiritual growth will come out of it. I pray divine deliverance will take place. I pray that peace that passes all understanding will be the norm. And God, as you do that, we're looking to you and saying, thank you, Jesus, for your power, your wisdom, and your anointing. Now, take us safely out today. Let us enjoy the abundance of this Lord's day and then break back tonight to worship you, to honor you, and to give you praise. Father, in your name, do what we cannot do, and we'll praise you for it. And everybody said, amen. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Enjoy your afternoon. Break every chain, break every chain.